Thank you for visiting Crossland Community Church. We are located in Terre Haute, Indiana. For more information, please visit us online at cocchurch.com. Let's listen to one of our Sunday morning messages. There's no great ending. There's no, you know, I don't have some way to turn that into some super awesome illustration. Just the point that that day I made a decision. I'm not watching that happen anymore. What do you stand for? Not just privately, but publicly, what do you stand for? See, it's one thing to come in here and to make your stand, and it's easy for you and it's easy for me to come in here and and to do the whole stand thing, right? We can come in together, lock arms, and we believe in Jesus, and we're all of one mind, and, and it's easy to do it in here. It's one thing to declare in here that this is the truth, and and this is what matters, and this is where I'm going to drive my stake in the ground. It's one thing to do it privately. It's quite another to do it publicly. Life changes. Life changes when you take a stand in private, but life really changes when you do it in public. It marks you. Peter's about to discover that Easter is all about taking a stand. And he would be put in really one of the most difficult of places as he gathered with Jesus and the other disciples in the upper room, they were celebrating this thing that they called Passover. To kind of go back in history a little bit, the Egyptians have the Israelites in their captivity. They're making life miserable for the Israelites. The Israelites are crying out to God, please help us, please rescue us, save us. And God picks Moses to be his man, and Moses is about the work of trying to get the Israelites freed from the Egyptians. They were in their own wilderness, begging God to rescue them from the Egyptian dominance that they were experiencing. At the end of the plagues, God does something that can only be described as stunning, really. He said, I'm going to bring judgment on the land, and everyone is going to be judged, Israel and Egypt. The firstborn of every uh, family, the firstborn male of every family will die as justice for the sins of that family. Every family will know sorrow. From Pharaoh to the poorest, every man will lose their firstborn son. But in the midst of that, God will make a way. God said, if you will take a a lamb from your possession and slaughter that lamb, sacrifice it, and you'll take the blood from that sacrificial lamb and you will wipe it over the doorpost of your home, then when the angel, the death angel, comes into your midst and sees that blood on your doorpost, that angel will pass over your house and you will be saved. It's an amazing offer in light of the just judgment that was due. Israel honored that and Egypt did not. And all of Egypt wept in bitterness as the firstborn of every family died and Israel was protected. Israel that day discovered something amazing about atoning sacrifice that they were to celebrate every year this thing called Passover. The day the angel passed over, the death angel passed over, and we were no longer held accountable for our sin. And so they were gathering together with Jesus in the upper room, and an intriguing transition takes place in Matthew chapter 26. In this moment, Jesus took what had been the the Old Testament Passover symbols and he's about to transition to a fresh new covenant. 
We're talking about that at this time of year. We talk about it a lot at Easter time. Matthew 26. While they were eating, Jesus took bread, gave thanks, and broke it, and gave it to his disciples, saying, Take and eat. This is my body. Then he took the cup, gave thanks, and offered it to them, saying, Drink from it, all of you. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. And in that moment, Jesus took the, the Passover symbols, the symbolism that had been so familiar to them all through the years of their life. And he said, I'm going to be the Passover lamb. This blood is going to be poured out. This new covenant, the word covenant means promise. This new promise will be between me and you. It's going to be established. And Jesus said, my blood will cover you. My blood will forgive you. My blood will heal you. It will restore your relationship with God. My blood will. They didn't fully understand that. Do any of us really fully understand that? It's so profound. This would become very profound for Peter. And years later, he would write a couple of books himself. In 1 Peter, he wrote these words. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. He bore our sins so that what? So that we could live the way we've always lived? So that we could just do, make the decisions we've always made and, and do the things that we've always done? No. So that we could take a stand. So that we could be transformed. So that we could be different. We could live a life that was different. So that we could become who we were created by God to be in the very beginning God was making a way. By his wounds you have been healed, for you were like sheep going astray, but now you have returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. Paul, Peter wrote that. Where did he get that? That comes from Isaiah 53. It was prophecy. Surely he took up our infirmities and carried our sorrows, yet we considered him stricken by God, smitten by him, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him. And by his wounds, we are healed. And Peter had no idea that all this would hinge on taking a stand. That's still true today. Peter took the same steps with Christ up to the upper room. He took the same steps to the Garden of Gethsemane. The other disciples scattered when Jesus was arrested in the garden and they led Christ away from Gethsemane to the house of Caiaphas, the high priest. But Peter took the same steps as Jesus. He followed behind just a little bit. Peter took the same steps, but there was a moment where everything would hinge for Peter on, on taking a stand. To put it another way, we might say this, that taking a step is making a commitment. Taking a stand is following through on that commitment. It's paying the price all the way through. And Peter had been taking some steps. Now it was time for Peter to take a stand. After a kiss of betrayal by Judas, Jesus was bound in the Garden of Gethsemane. He was led out of the garden. He crossed through the Kidron Valley 
and ascended the steps to the house of Caiaphas, the high priest, Peter right behind. And you have to wonder, as Jesus took those steps up to Caiaphas' house, if he didn't pause or if he wasn't given the opportunity to stop and look over his shoulder, to look back at the temple and to think about all the sacrifices that had happened in that temple for the sins of people. And he realized that he would be the one for all ending sacrifice that would once and for all forgive us, cleanse us of our sins. You have to wonder if that wasn't going through Jesus' mind as he ascended those, those steps and as he went by the temple when he saw it, if, he, if it just dawned on him. I'm sure it did. I am the, the lamb. He would make the final sacrifice, but not before his friends would betray him, not before a friend would deny him, and not before a long night in a dungeon. Standing in private, failing in public. That's kind of where we pick up with Peter. Failing in, in public, standing in private, but failing in public. He had no idea while he followed Jesus that he would be required to stand. Matthew 26, 31, this very night you will all fall away on account of me. Jesus is trying to explain to them, all of you, none of you are going to make it tonight. You're all going to have opportunities to stand with me, but none of you are going to stand with me tonight. When pressure comes, you will not stand. He told him up front. Those of you who have stood with me privately, those of you who have made promises to me privately, when the pressure of the moment and the public moment comes, you will not stand. He's trying to make sure that they understand that. What does Peter say? You've got to love Peter. Even if all fall away on account of you, I never will. You ever done that? Okay, maybe not with Jesus. Have you said something like that? But you've said, I'm, okay, this is it. I'm going to do this thing this time. I'm, this is the moment. I drive my stake in the sand. I'm not going to let this get away from me this time. I'm making my stand right here. No longer am I going to be playing this game. Here's where I make my stand. And then you got there, and you got under the pressure of the moment, and you caved. Of course you do that. We all do that. What's frightening about this moment is that Jesus was foretelling what Peter would do. Verse 34, I tell you the truth, Jesus answered, this very night before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. But Peter declared, even if I have to die with you, I will never disown you. And all the other disciples said the same. Jesus was about to be the Passover lamb and Peter blew it. He did deny him. If you read in chapter 26, you're going to discover that Peter fell in public. Three times he de denied Christ and left Christ to stand alone. And Jesus stood for us in our vulnerability that, that through the right thing in private and in public, he stood, he, he knew, he knew that we might be able sometimes to make private declarations, but that making public stands is a difficult thing, and that's the whole reason that Jesus had to die. That under pressure, we crash, we engage, and we yield to temptation. 
You know what? If you don't confess that about yourself, if you don't confess about yourself that you don't always stand, then Easter really makes no sense. You're content to know the right thing in private, but you have a huge vulnerability to doing the right thing in public. Deciding to cut down on what I eat is um, something that I have a private decision to make once in a while, you know. Usually that private decision is made on a, on a scale somewhere. <laughs> I'm going to do it. I'm going to drop X number of pounds. I'm not having the pie anymore. I'm going to stop with one serving. Okay, maybe two servings, but, but that fourth serving is not going to happen. I can talk a great diet game in private. You can too. But something happens when you get in public and you get to that restaurant, right? And you've eaten your meal and then they come out with the dessert tray. As if they know that you've made the private declaration. In private, I give the right answer. In public, I fall. I have an appetite. We all have an appetite. We have an appetite financially. We have a sexual appetite. We have a moral appetite. We have an ego appetite. We know the right thing in private. And like Peter, we have a tendency, a real tendency, to fail and to fall when the pressure comes of the public moment. It's really not all that hard to understand how Peter fell, is it? I mean... So much was on the line. It wasn't food. It, you know, P- Peter wasn't trying to take a stand on the dessert line. This is Peter's life on the line. He, he gives the wrong answer, and, and he, it could cost him his life. And in that moment when the cock crowed for the third time, Jesus stood alone. It seems natural to fall. It seems unnatural to stand supernatural even Jesus standing in private standing in public that's what he did Jesus is in the dungeon in Caiaphas's house the place where he's been falsely accused a place where he will experience uh, the deepest of human aloneness and deprivation of relationship it's cold it's dark, it's dank, who knows what kind of things are crawling around on the floor, who knows what kind of sounds Jesus heard. He's been abandoned by everyone who had committed to follow him. He's been abandoned by everyone who'd said he was a friend. How on earth did Jesus stand under those circumstances? The Sanhedrin, led by the high priest Caiaphas, had the authority to scourge, to whip, to imprison. We really don't know all the details of of what happened in the dungeon. It's not really described for us in great detail what the dungeon was like. We don't really uh, have a a, a real in-depth description of the scourging that Jesus took. 
But I want to read some scripture to you, and I really want to paint the picture for you of Jesus in this dungeon, okay? I want you to imagine with me what it must be like in a dungeon. You're being falsely accused, and you've probably already been abused to to some extent. They've made a mockery of you. They've, They've laughed at you. No one that you know is around to stand with you. You are by yourself, and they have pretty much dragged you into this dungeon. And it's cold and dark. It is, it is the, the perfect representation of aloneness. And maybe they hook Jesus' arms up to rings in the wall. I don't know what, I don't know what dungeons were like in Caiaphas' house, but this more than likely is in the, the lower portion of the house where Caiaphas, the high priest, lived. And and with that kind of image and and mindset, I just want to read to you from Psalm 88. Just let these words kind of just simmer and soak a little bit and, and think about this in terms of Jesus being alone. For my soul is full of trouble and my life draws near the grave. I'm counted among those who go down to the pit. I'm like a man without strength. I'm set apart with the dead like the slain who lie in the grave whom you remember no more, who are cut off from your care. You have put me in the lowest pit in the darkest depths. You have taken from me my closest friends and have made me repulsive to them. I am confined and I cannot escape. My eyes are dim with grief. I call to you, O Lord, every day. I spread out my hands to you, but I cry to you for help, O Lord. In the morning, my prayer comes before you. Why, O Lord, do you reject me and hide your face from me? You have taken my companions and loved ones from me. The darkness is my closest friend. In aloneness and darkness, Jesus suffered for us. If you've ever seen the passion of the Christ and seen the scourging scene, then you know what I mean when I say you're never quite the same after you see that. I've seen that movie seven or eight times now, and I saw it two weeks ago with some friends at a, a small group setting, and the, the reaction is always the same. You watch that, you watch the scourging, you watch the, the crucifixion, and, and then he is risen, and that's awesome, but they fade to black and the credits start to roll and the reaction is the same every time I've ever seen this movie and I've seen it with lots of different kinds of people every time that movie comes to an end and you've seen what you've seen which is a pretty fair representation no one moves no one says anything because in Jesus taking a stand the way he did it marks you it impresses you Christ would stand for us and all of eternity would would turn and hinge on those moments. He would go to the cross, he would suffer for us in ways that we can hardly imagine that more than likely none of us will ever, ever have to go through. He died for us, he was laid in a tomb. John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. 
Jesus, the Passover lamb, was slain for you and slain for me in hopes that we would choose to take his blood and dip our hands or some instrument and figuratively speaking, wipe that over the doorpost of our heart that we might be saved. Quoting Isaiah 53, uh, Peter wrote, by his wounds we are healed. This meant a lot to Peter because it was Peter who in the moment denied him so deeply. It was Peter who, who in the moment, under the public scrutiny and the, the bright lights, he'd made promises in private, but when it came time to stand and deliver for Jesus, he had failed so miserably. And in the amazing grace of God, Jesus reached out to him. One of my favorite part, places in Scripture is when Jesus has risen and he's telling people and he says, you go tell Peter. He calls him out to make sure that he knows and he understands, Peter, I'm still here for you. I stood for you too. And he said, Peter, I know that you've fallen, but I want you to stand. I want to redefine your entire life. I don't want your life to be defined by the moment that you denied me. I want you to stand. And I want your life to be defined by standing. Maybe you've never done that. Maybe you've never had a moment where you stood for Christ. Maybe you've never looked at the cross before and realized that, that in the cross is hope for you. I mean, we see Jesus on the cross, and it's, it's this, the cross was this horrible instrument of torture you know, it's been said that the Romans didn't invent crucifixion, but they perfected the torture that came from it. And it's real easy to look at that and just think, man, it's just such a hideous, awful thing. But I hope that you're able to look at the cross this morning and see it as, for what it is. For you and for me, it's hope. The cross represents hope. That even though many, many times we have not stood the way we should have, have taken a stand, that doesn't matter. Christ went to the cross. He died. He became the, the new Passover lamb, slaughtered and slain. And what's left for us to do is to take his blood and smear the doorpost of our hearts with it. Many in this room have done that. Many walk with Christ every day, and they would say, I am saved because I have placed my faith in the blood of Jesus Christ. Several of you have not ever done that. You've not ever said, I see what happens on the cross I know that that happened for me and now I figuratively put my hand in that blood and I smear it on the doorpost of my heart because I want salvation. I want the death angel to pass over me the way it did in Egypt many, many, many years ago. That can be you this morning. You can come to Christ. You can experience forgiveness and salvation. You can respond to the cross of Christ the blood of Jesus shed for you and shed for me. It can be a reality. You can walk out these doors today and know beyond a shadow of a doubt that you are saved, that you will spend an eternity with Christ. But you have to stand. In just a moment, we're going to stand and sing. You'll have an opportunity to receive Christ, to come forward and to profess him if you want to do that. Before we offer that to you, let's pray.
Father, Jesus Christ on a cross is a, it's a bittersweet image for us. It's, a, it's horrible to think that anybody had to go through that, and then you start to think about the fact that he, he went through that for us. It's just horrible to think that, that that's what had to happen. Lord, the beautiful part of that image is that that's happening for us and, and that we receive forgiveness, forever pardon, a clean slate. I don't know how many different ways I can say it, God, but we are forgiven. And we see that cross and we see Jesus on it and we realize that he's bleeding and he's suffering and he's dying. And all that's for me. All that is for us. And Lord, it's humbling and it's saddening. It's, it's exciting. It's brutal and it's beautiful. All at the same time. And so Father, in this moment, all of us together in this private place where we so often take a stand, I pray that you would help some to take a public stand. That's what Christ died for, so that we would have the power in us through the Holy Spirit to take a public stand. We cannot do it without you, and we know that. So we plead with you to come inside, to work in us and through us, to be all that we can be for your glory. Lord, it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks for visiting. We hope you've been encouraged. Please feel free to visit us online at clcchurch.com.